This is Coda Radio, episode 257 for May 19th, 2017. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. Why me? My name is Chris, and joining us every single week, sharpening his wood walking stick. Why, yes, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. No, I, I can't accept this. I had I took steps. The reason why we weren't here on Monday is I hired a hit team to come in and assassinate Jar Jar Binks. I wanted to give time for the body to be buried, for the story to fall off the news, and then start the show. How is this possible? Misa's so sad. Assassin kill himself. <laughs> uh, actually, it's kind of worked out that we ended up recording on a Friday instead of Monday because uh, we got stuff to talk about from Build. We've got stuff to talk about from Google I.O. Yeah. We've got projects you and I are working on to talk about. It's good stuff, dude. Honestly, I think we should always record on Friday. No, shut your mouth. Yeah, I do. Because you know what? Mondays suck. I'm distracted by entertaining the children of Naboo. Yeah, that's true. And, that uh, is a big and, job. That it, I mean, really, when you orphan half a planet. Yeah, I mean that's you, a big you, job, and we all know it takes it. It takes a village. Oh, hell, dog! <sighs> you know, I had an interesting visit uh, earlier in the week. I think we'll talk about. Oh, really? That's, uh, that's just a little tease. related. Just related a, to the dog. That's all I really. That's all I get. Just that's all. All I get. you get. Hmm. Hmm. I've had a. I've had a very interesting week. You know those. You know those weeks when you launch new products. Yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah, I've had one of those weeks. So I want to talk about that with you in a little bit. I noticed we've got some stuff in here about a, one of our go-to, one of our go-to topics, hybrid development, and also some big, big, big news um, for fans of Kotlin. If if you like Russian programming huge, languages, huge. today is your day. Oh man, I can't believe you're even going that route. I know. Oh, God. And we're trying to get these guys to. We're trying to get. We're trying to get IntelliJ. <laughs> I mean, they're never, they're tra- never going to buy an ad. IntelliJ. Let me t- friends, let me tell you about IntelliJ by JetBrains. You see, I could do it, dude. I could do it. No way. No way. <laughs> okay, maybe not. You're right. Okay, we'll make fun of them. You know, we could probably get a Visual Studio Code ad first. Yeah, you're, pro- you know, you're probably right. I could just go down in front yeah. of Redmond and just hold a sign out there, please sponsor my podcast. I'll go away. And they'd probably do it. Very you, would, true. you wouldn't believe some of the guys getting sponsorship these days. All right, let's talk about hybrid today, progressive tomorrow. What do you say? Yeah, so um, you know we've been talking a lot about hybrid development, native development. Um, you know, noted Apple fanboy Chris Fisher is all in on native. Oh wow! Oh wow! I oh I can't even with that right now. I can't even it's, with it's that. It's been pent up for a week and a half now. So, um, and I've uh, been talking about hybrid. You know, we talk a lot about Ionic. We talked about Xamarin and why you should never do that. Um, we talked about React JS and why you should never do that. React Native and why that's a buzzword. See, I'm just like getting them all out right up front. But the future is the progressive web app, and here's why: it lives on the server. In fact, it's funny. As soon as I got back to New Jersey, I immediately had a code signing shit show on my hand. Whoa, 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 whoa! Okay, okay. I want to hear about that. Can you break the, all this yeah. down? Okay. 
I can break it down. So real quick, a progressive web app, um, just for folks who aren't familiar, is a it's I mean it's exactly what it sounds like, right? It is a web application written in something like Angular 4. Don't ask about what they did to Angular 3. There is no Angular 3. We don't talk, it's like Windows 9. It's just not there. Um that lives on the server and changes its functionality and it's obviously its layout based on the device, right? So let, let's take a real example. Um, let's say you're running an Android device with that is a either Google Polymer or Angular 4 progressive web app. You might actually be able to tie into some native-esque controls for Google Maps. Um, obviously, you have a GPS on the phone where you don't have a GPS mm-hmm. Nessus- mm-hmm. on your, let's sure. say, uh, Chris's golden MacBook, for example. God damn, dude. <laughs> Just fucking, I'm just going for it. Uh, I do not, for the record, have a golden MacBook. <laughs> the guy next to me has a MacBook that looks like C-3PO's younger nephew. Yeah, it does look like, you know, it's not quite right. as nice as C-3PO, though. C-3PO, he's got more shine. <laughs> you know, it seems like the designer on that was just, like, getting, like, you know, ridden really hard by Johnny Ive. Like, Johnny Ive was like, uh, sir, mister, we need to get something. I can't do a British accent. You know, just kind of giving right. him a hard time. Like, that was really bad. That was, we're going to get lots of mail. <laughs> I can already feel it. Ooh, on a dot that, co. Was rough, dude. that was that wasn't very good i apologize for that um we're gonna get a old so anyway he's sitting there and johnny ive is like so i need a gold color and he's like you know what whips out his star wars lunchbox and says c3po perfect anyway now the advantage here is that the progressive web app runs on the server and does not have to be co-signed by apple let's talk a hypothetical here chris can we do that Okay. Let's say you are a company or, you know, the executive at a company. You hired another company to build you an iOS app. Okay. They urged you to take a maintenance contract and a support contract. Mm. They offered to cut the price because you complained about price. You didn't do it because you felt like you were being taken for a ride. Yeah, I got it. I mean, when you're telling me this right now, I'm already thinking. I mean, if it's truly me, I'm thinking I'm not buying this guy's support right. contract. No one buys them. Like, and, when then, and then when he lowers the price, it's just because he's trying to make a cream off the crop, top the off the top profit. Like this guy is a. I, you know what? I got to tell you, even though I knew where you were going, I was still like, I don't think I'd pay. Right. No. No one ever really does. Right. So I mean, we don't do iOS that much anymore. But in the past, when it was predominantly most of my business, um, these kind of situations that I'm about to describe would happen all the time. So you say no. A year later, your certificates expire Mm. or something happens or you need to change something on your MDM. Yeah, of course, that would would be how it goes. And now you are screwed because now you're being charged development rates. And let's be honest, the vendor who wanted to say the support contract isn't super thrilled about having a fire drill, right? Uh, Nobody wants that. Nobody wants the, you know, oh, my God, you need to do 10 hours or 12 hours of dev here. Or, you know, dev in quotes. We all have seen that famous poster, a lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. Right, exactly. And it's like, well, you know, you could have paid like a couple hundred bucks a month to avoid this, but you decided that you would rather pay more now. Yeah. But also cause a problem for everybody because maybe we don't have the resources to do this right now. Yeah, let me me introduce you to all of America. Right. So if you had done a progressive web app, you would not necessarily have this problem because you wouldn't be code signing. Now, having having said that, I want to defend native apps a little bit. They still make sense for a lot of things. Things are like video intensive, graphic intensive. But if you are a medium to small company 
that thinks you're going to like hire someone to do a native app, like on a fixed bid particularly, and then like totally screw them on the contract and then not sign a maintenance contract and expect like support, you're like you're in a really bad place, right? Mm-hmm. Like the urge to rake you over the coals is I mean, it's like Tiffany Alvord in her latest video. I, I, I can't so not So if, it, lo- if, if it's truly me, if it's truly me, my response would be I would want something built in a way that would be easily maintainable by any developer I picked up. Well, I mean, what you would want, right? I mean, so, so there's two things going on here. One, do you even want to manage an MDM in na- native mobile application? No, of course That's, not. Right. So, but let's say that you do. Okay. Well, all right. Stipulate that. <laughs> all right. I, I can play that role then you have made the classic technical fallacy in terms of uh, technical purchasing of only looking at the sticker price for the initial purchase. Yeah, which is actually super common. And thinking you can just like screw the vendor who built it because you don't want to pay maintenance contracts. I mean, this used to happen with old Linux systems. Oh, it happens. Uh, it's it's I, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I yep, used to yep. know a guy who ran a SharePoint shop that whenever they nobody signed a maintenance contract, he would tell them he quadrupled his rates if they called him back. Wow. <laughs> Just because they had no choice. And that would be a way to force them to sign the contract. Um, this is neither here nor there. But if you are outsourcing your work and you do not sign a maintenance contract, you are putting yourself in a position to... You know, unless the vendor likes you or you've been fair to the vendor, if especially if you've not been fair to the vendor, they're going to be very tempted to screw you. Yeah, right? I, mean, I, I, I would look at right. it as if in that situation to the vendor, you potentially look like a future high high paying customer because they know you mm-hmm. got they know you're hooked on. The, here's the thing: you like you know they're going to be hooked on the good sauce if it's if it's truly helping their business. They're going to be hooked on the good sauce. They're going to be back. They're going to need that sauce fixed. Yeah, see, that's I've never seen that actually be true. I've seen it more be true that the types of customers who don't want to think long term about their product or project also like rake you over the coals on the fixed bid contract and you probably lost money on them or broke even. So it's more like, can I recoup some of my loss Mm -hmm. and how much can I make this cost? Okay, okay. Yeah. Although I'm also a bastard. So. (laughs) So anyway, do progressive web apps and people can't do this to you. Hmm. It's sound. It's it's interesting. It this reflects a conversation I've been having off microphone with several folks who work at companies that are helping other companies decide how they should write their applications for Linux. Yeah, yeah. It's the, I, same, it's the same thing, right? If you pick something super specified, you're really in a bad position. If yeah. You, have a you know, and and to be to be fair, right? I totally understand the temptation to not sign long term contracts, right? I never sign them. Like I, I'm being a kind of a jerk about this, but you can't sell me a long-term contract, right? Salesforce wanted to sell me an annual contract and I just laughed at them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, yeah. So I, what I, so what I look at though is um, the, the realities, everything seems to me right now better for the, it seems like a buyer's market when it comes to software uh, because it seems like every, every major component is getting broken down in a way that isolates it and makes it modular and makes it possible for one person to create something and another person to pick it up. Like I look at one of the things that you spend a lot of time and effort on these days, Docker. Right. To me, Docker is the great commoditizer in some senses. Do you see what – do you kind of follow my logic there? 
yeah, Docker like totally avoids vendor lock-in, right? Like I, if I sell someone a Docker implementation, they can go down the road to my right. competitor in a right. week and, and I have no way to right. lock them in. But and, I don't and, want to lock them in. And one step further than that – well, OK, yeah, that, that's what we need to talk about. But one step further than that uh, – in the past, it wouldn't. It would be. It would be a complete solution. Like I would come in and I would sell you the consultation on the, the migration from your old system. I would spec the hardware. I would set up and build the hardware. I would configure the operating systems. I would configure the applications. I would move the data. Like then, like the application was just the application. All of the stuff it required was was part of a huge package. And now it's getting sliced up into individual portable layers to the point where. You, you almost – you can't sell the whole package. You can't sell lock-in. You have to be able to sell modularity. You have to sell vendor neutrality in a sense. Well, isn't that what we're seeing all over the place? Like how many, how many new implementations are being done of like SharePoint, right? I mean I, I, I hate to beat up on, on SharePoint, but it's like the quintessential lock-in product. Hmm. Um, I, I look at folks who are running on AWS and one of the big things is can we do a Docker on AWS – because holy crap, we really don't want to be tied to like S3 specifically or mm. to any of the AWS yeah. um, specific features because Amazon could theoretically change, like decide they want to make money, right? And change their price tomorrow. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if Bezos could get like yeah, a bad no, cup of coffee. That's just good because I, I didn't, I don't know outside of Washington, I didn't know if outside of Washington it's like a common thing that people don't realize that Amazon like basically doesn't make money and that, and they, they just run at a loss. Like, that's known it, here in, in Washington because they're an Amazon, you know, Amazon is based out of here and people grice, grouse about it all the time and gripe, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't know how common knowledge that is, but it's it. I mean, it's a fact, right? That yeah. And so here's my here's my point, though, is in the past, uh, what, what always made sense to me is I, w- I would build these really long term relationships because the advantage I had is if I set it all up, I would try to do the best. I would do the best job I possibly could. I would build it using the best industry standard practices. Uh, but I knew at the end of the day, I had all of the esoteric domain knowledge. And that made me super crazy valuable because it wasn't just the application implementation. It was the whole effing infrastructure. And, and I, I don't feel like I could get away with that anymore. That wouldn't be my, that, that wouldn't be my shtick anymore. I wouldn't be able to make money at that. And I, it, it is a totally different sort of uh, dynamic in a sense. And so that's why when I, when I, when I, when you, when you talk about going more and more into this space, about delivering things in containers, to me, you're sort of forfeiting the same domain knowledge, the same sort of domain benefit that Buccaneer would have had if you had gone in there and you had you had spec the application for them, created the application, set up the backend infrastructure, and published it to the App Store for them, and then did updates. You have a history, essentially, if when you land a good one, you could have a five-year client there. So the problem is, see, I, I see what's happening. The, the, the problem is, you are assigning a change that's happened on the side of like clients and how they buy things to a technology change. It's not a technology change. Okay. It's that project manager simply got smarter. And, and just, I, I, so my entire sales funnel, no one wants us to maintain. There's only one who, who is interested in us maintaining and they have a really good reason for that. But everybody else wants us to literally write a document and walk away. So they figured it out is what you're saying. Well, because they know, I mean, if you look at the profit margins of consulting business, unless maintaining really means continuous dev, maintenance is where you make all your money, right? You, you're getting hammered on dev. Well, I mean, look at, um, it's so it's funny. I was on uh, Facebook looking at some pictures of relatives, like it was a birthday party. 
And I'm part of this Facebook group for people who own like development shops. And there's a bunch of these guys who own, like I used to write mobile focused development shops and they are paying their developers $75 an hour and charging 80. Oh man. There is no margin that's no. been totally commoditized. There's, right? there's negative margin there. The only way they make money is if they sell like a thousand dollars a month maintenance contract. Cause that's, yes. you know, except for when Apple changes something that's, basically profit right right so if you think you have to like understand that these things don't exist in vacuums right as enterprises hire people out of agencies and say oh well you know we need to get as much value as possible don't sign the maintenance contract don't do it natively right do it in web technologies and we will have um you know we'll have just one of our developers who's responsible for the outside quote-unquote outside services right Mm. And and that's where we're going. Now, this has been a cycle, I mean, from the 90s, right? Insourcing, outsourcing, insourcing, outsourcing. Yeah. Back and forth, back and forth. And right now, it's very strongly in favor of insourcing. So when you say it's a buyer's market, it's a buyer's market because most of these people who are big enough, let's say 200 employees, have developers on staff. Right. So so they can or just at least cast, one Or at least one, right? I mean, not... Right. At least, at least one who's like somewhat, you know, they don't care how busy or not busy it is. They just do it. Um, so what they're doing is they're, they're, they're trying to avoid those kind of agreements. Now, this has happened before, right? And what happened last time is that there was a paradigm shift and everybody needed to, you know, go mobile. That was the last big shift, right? Everybody needs to rewrite everything to go mobile. Yeah. So that was a huge boon for the outsourcing shops. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was Um, even me. Yeah. Right. So we'll see what happens, but I, I, I do think that like, you know, Project managers, on average, now understand that you know the smart ones understand that these things need to be maintained long term, uh, particularly mobile apps. But it is more beneficial to do it hybrid or progressive, and have a, a JavaScript developer on staff. And the dumb ones just know that the smart ones don't sign maintenance contracts, <laughs> and because they don't want to look stupid, they don't sign maintenance contracts. But they have no one to do, and then they get you know demolished later. But that's. Yeah, that's business. Yeah, it is. Huh. So, this, brought, this message brought to you by Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. <laughs> now, uh, how does uh, how does Docker Compose fit into all of this in your world? So, again, this is like doing a service for the client, right? Docker Compose is just a way to manage Docker containers for your application. Uh, you can go to Buccaneer.io. By the way, the newly redesigned Buccaneer.io. Oh, no kidding. Oh, it's pretty. It's pretty. Jeez, man. What, what? Travel isn't enough for you? Who sleeps anymore? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I could sleep, uh, but I just have sleep apnea anyway, so what's the point, right? <laughs> yeah, me and Jim, we're going across country. Oh. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, don't you? Well, he's got some free time. He's actually working as a UPS man, which I think we'll talk about in a few minutes. Oh, okay. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we decided to redesign the website. So, yeah, it's... It's a great way to um, basically organize and uh, you know bootstrap your application using Docker. Your app might have multiple containers, right? So a Rails app has a web container that's Rails, database container that's probably MySQL or Postgres. Yeah, yeah. You might have a Redis container, all that good stuff. You set it up, you run it with one file, one command on the command line, and you're good to go. If you want to learn more, to go to Buccaneer.io or my YouTube channel, and there is a handy dandy guide. Dude, I got to say, you are, uh, I think you are rocking the hair. You are rocking the hair. I really like that. Man, this, 
This site looks unbelievable, dude. This is this looks so great. This looks really good. Nice work. Yeah, yeah. Miss Yates has an eye for design. Damn. Yeah. Of course. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's a good team you've assembled there. It's a really good team. Yeah. Wow. We call ourselves the Avengers. It's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Buccaneer.io. Go check it out. So uh, I got to compose myself because when I saw this. I felt like you were trolling me. Swift is like Kotlin. I did not write this article. I want to start right here. Just want to say that. Okay. Uh, Swift is a lot like Kotlin in syntax, right? And you can go ahead. The link's in the show notes and take a look. Um, the author makes a great point, and I can I can I yeah. interrupt you just for a moment? And I I would not normally do this, except for I feel like at this point you know me, and I would only do this if this was super important, right? I don't normally do this. I don't normally stop the do show. It. Do it. Uh, so I have a uh, I have some software on my computer called Variety, and it is a uh, background manager that gives you random backgrounds. If you're a Linux user, I highly recommend it because you can set things like. I want it to be a dark background, certain resolution. I want it to have these aspects of it. You can blur it a little bit. And I have it set. And I have it set not to do anything dirty. Uh, I know no sexuality because this computer is on the air. And uh, it just it just changed my background to two women on a couch grieving. And <laughs> it's extremely distracting. I don't know if you have the – I got to send you a picture of this, Mike. I'm turning on the video feed, so look at your Skype there. I have this picture of two women crying and What grieving. the hell is wrong with you? I don't know. This just showed up on my – as we're talking right now, this just changed on my background to these two women crying and grieving. I just – I'm sorry, Mike. It just – I – you know what? I'm going to tweet out a picture of it right now, so that way, if you have, if you're listening to the audio feed and you want to know what I'm talking about, uh, I will tweet out a picture of it because it's 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 pretty it's it's pretty outrageous. It's like the worst thing I've ever seen. It is it is disturbing. It is very disturbing. It is not as disturbing though as Swift being compared to Kotlin. I, this drives me crazy. It really drives All me right. crazy when we do this. It, okay, why does it drive you crazy? Let's uh, let's hear. It. Well, so it, it's it's the tribalism that already begins to form. Uh, of course, Kotlin isn't really anything like Swift. It's not a truly functional programming language like Swift is. Uh, Swift has pattern matching. It has recursive data structures. Uh, and now, not to not not to slam on Kotlin. Kotlin is awesome. It's already it, you could already just because of the nature of Kotlin, you could already use it on Android. This is just now being. It's just this is just just a shift, which I, I don't want to get into it too far. But I'm just I I hate this. I hate this. Um, this this thing that doesn't actually happen in real life. In real life, say I drove a Ford and you drove a Chevy. I do drive a Chevy. Okay, that's great. And I actually okay, I drive a Dodge. So I drive a Dodge and you drive a Chevy. In real life, it would not be it would not even be discussed. When you and I saw if you and I drove our cars, parked them next to each other, got out of the cars, you know, we'd be saying hi, we'd be shaking hands, our vehicles, their specs and the brand would not even come up. But online, it turns into a huge fight where the Ford tribe and the Dodge tribe and the Chevy tribe all get together or all, all get in on a conversation and start talking about how the Dodge doesn't have this or the Chevy doesn't have this. And we get completely lost in the weeds doing this, completely lost and, and completely get distracted from getting any actual work done. It's like the whole Mac OS versus Linux desktop debate. <laughs> yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? I, I do. I mean, so there's a couple of things here, though, right? So there, there, are, there are some syntax similarities, which I, I get what the author's saying. Okay, fair. Um, and I think that's just the way modern syntax is going for the sake of, 
like less crap and boilerplate and wasting time. Major differences. One, neither is actually a functional programming language. So I'm say that, right? Swift is still OO. It's just like more protocol oriented in quotes. Um, Kotlin is functional-esque. I would not consider Kotlin like an F-sharp functional programming language or Scala, right? It's, I mean, Scala is still pretty OO too. Um, we're not in the land of Haskell here is my point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just saying, right? Like Kotlin, I mean, there's all kinds of weird crap you can do with Kotlin, but, it, but its normal place is in the JVM. That's why it works on Android, right? Um, and now it's officially supported by Google. Swift compiles to, it's like Objective-C. It, it really does compile to uh, you know native code, right? So that's a pretty major difference. For instance, theoretically, I mean, not right now, Swift needs some improvements, but theoretically, you could write a kernel in Swift if you wanted to. Let's say in a version or two. That seems insane to try to do in Kotlin. Because of its architecture, right? Because of the fact that it normally would be compiled in and running on the JVM. Hmm. Now, there is the weird thing where it can compile into JavaScript, but I, I hmm. don't know anybody who's doing that. And if you are, please tell me why. Um, I don't think one language is better than the other. I've toyed with Kotlin. I find myself having to use Swift. Um, not that frequently, right? Because most of the stuff I'm doing is non-native but and non, non-mobile. No, you just mostly do it for Linux. Actually, yes. I got to really? be honest with you. It, it, yeah, it is not bad for like That's a quick, uh, quick HTTP service, especially like internally. But I don't know. I mean, I think if I had a giant Android project come in, I might be very tempted to do it in Kotlin because I like Kotlin. I think there's a lot of time saving and a lot of, uh, for lack of a better term, modernizations compared to Java. Although Java 9 is coming out and has a lot of this stuff too. Mm-hmm. Swift is, you know, a crime against humanity. Um, we are probably going to hear a lot more about Swift next week. Yes, because children, this is the conference season where this show goes to crap for three weeks. I don't know. It's kind of fun as long as you're willing to just go with the flow. You know, what? when we get into the Google stuff more, I felt like this one, this year is not ramped up to be a good year so let's go there here in a second uh okay. do you have any do you want to have any do you have any closing thoughts i mean we also have the links here in the show notes if people want to go just a recommendation if you want to write swift on linux and you want to learn more about the latest of linux news check out linuxactionnews.com whoa whoa are you plugging for me that is so nice dude that is so it's been, nice. i'm getting better and better every week yeah linuxactionnews.com i i you know what mike you are the target audience, so I would love if you, when you get time, I would love for you to listen because I already did. Oh, you did? Yeah. What'd you think? I thought it was good. I, I, um, I liked it. I mean, I listened to it on the plane. I, I didn't have any video. I didn't even know if there was video. Isn't Joe great though? I like Joe. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I gotta be honest. I'm trying to find his home address. Yeah. <laughs> you got to travel a little bit to get there, but uh, yeah, at LinuxActionNews.com, a Monday morning show. And it's our take, Joe and my take, on uh, what's going on in Linux and open source. Nice, tight show. Um, I hope that uh, I hope you get a chance to check it out and give me your feedback. Also, it's on Twitter at Linux at Linux Action News. If you want to check that out too. Uh, before we go any further, why don't I thank Digital? Oh, hello, hi there. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got a little verklempt. I'm very excited because very high 
very maximum, very reliable CPUs are coming to DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean.com. Go over there and use our promo code, CoderDigital. You sign up, you apply that to your account, and you get a $10 credit. DigitalOcean is a very easy to use and very intuitive way to spin up servers on demand in less than a minute. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code, CoderDigital. When you sign up and you'll get a, you apply it to your account, you get a $10 credit. Now, I, the reason why I double down on that, double, double, double down on that, is because you, with that five dollar rig you could run it for two months for free with our promo code and you get quite a bit of mileage out of a five i'm sorry you get a lot of kilometers out of a five dollar rig go over to digitalocean.com and try them out they have a very easy to use interface simple straightforward an api that actually would be a great chance if you want to start messing around with really nice easy to understand documented apis be a great training exercise. It's also just super functional if you just want to get work done. That's how we use it. DigitalOcean's also got new features launching all the time, like very, very, very high-end CPUs. They have block storage you can attach to your machine. They have monitoring. And they have great tutorials and documentation. Look at this one here. How to port Python 2 to Python 3. Hey, that's pretty useful. Using SSL and Nginx, working with CentOS, how to monitor hosts and services on Ubuntu 16.04. They're always adding documentation. This one, uh, the Python 2 to Python 3 stuff, three days old. How to configure BuildBot with SSL, two days old. New stuff's landing all the time. Spin up a system and try it out or put it in production. Just go to DigitalOcean.com, use our promo code CoderDigital, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Okay, so uh, there, there, the big elephant in the room this week is Google I.O. It, it uh, went down earlier in this week. I would say like the stuffed elephant in some little girl's bedroom. Not really the big elephant. The I room, was right? – can I be honest with you? I was not just, not just surprised. I was shocked at what a lack of, of a splash they made. And I don't – I don't – I'm not – that is, oh, that is not oh, criticism. That is just an observation. I, so there's a crazy mic theory. But should – Let's l- let me do my crazy theory first. Okay, are you ready? I love it. Over the last year or two, the big three. I mean, can we? I, I get. I guess we could throw Microsoft in there, but who? Man, the big two. Microsoft. You know those guys. Uh, I mean the hmm, the guys that uh, make Azure. Those guys. You know the old, you know the, yeah the older fellas. Oh yeah, the ones that have the buses. Okay, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, Everybody's trying to sort of find the next thing, right? It was mobile. <laughs> it's bots. No, oh, dude, now it's bots. It's bots now, dude. It, it, it was going to be bots, right? And I was really excited about bots. And then hashtag abandonware. And now um, it's, it's derp learning uh, machine yeah, intelligence. Yeah, now it's like voice assistants. And sure, everybody's sure. kicking themselves in the crotch to get better voice assistants. And you know what? I was using my Google Home all morning. It was not an awesome showing. Um, you know, can I just say something? I, I Yeah. I really we, – we, this is just a, a, a quick aside. I think th- what I realized about the Google Home, it took the Echo Show for me to realize it. But the Google Home is what the Echo Show should have been all along. The Google Home is what the Echo Show I mean, should say, have been. The Google Home should have been the Echo Show. I guess that's probably a better way to say it. Right. Like, so with Google, the screen and – yeah. When Google released the uh, Google Home, they just they, – it's, it's a, it's a straight-up Me Too product. Just like in some ways Android is a Me Too product. Ooh. And web search is also a Me Too product. Now, eventually over time, the, the thing about Google is if you long bet on them, they generally, generally work into something that's pretty competitive. But – 
Wouldn't it have been amazing if the Google Home would have launched as what the Echo Show is today with, you know, those cards that show up? Because they've got, they've got the now feed cards. They've, they've worked on this technology before. So I'm, I'm actually a little more negative than you, I think, on the whole space. Um, I, I, I was, listeners know, I was very excited about it. But there hasn't been a business model or monetization strategy for smaller firms to capitalize on no, these platforms. No. It's only to make Amazon money. And, and that's why... Well, I and not even like, like the big boys, right? Like you can, if you really, really hate yourself and like Domino's Pizza, you can go ahead and do that, right? Oh, I, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we mean like, so if you're, if you can create a skill, like if you use the Echo Parlance, if you can create a skill that connects to a service that makes you money. Yeah, but even then, that that's like you know, it's it's a su- super three step pro- process where like opening your phone and ordering a pizza is much easier. Yeah, I, I see. Um, I so I have a dot in this room. I have a dot okay. in my office. Um, I have a Echo in my RV, and uh, so uh, I pretty much anywhere I spend a lot of time, any room where I spend hours a day in, there is a Echo device, and. Um, I use it all the time. The reason why is I've integrated it with actual physical actions in my environment. And once you purchase them. Right. Once you go out and you get the smart plugs and you get the lights and all that kind of stuff and you do all of that, it is extremely useful. Um, and it, so, it in, so for example, in the RV, it controls two different sets of lighting. It controls our heater. Um, so I use it for that all the time. I, I use it as a Bluetooth speaker as well. I also use it uh, to hear the headlines as I'm getting dressed in the morning. Um, and then when I get here in the studio, I use it to turn on all of the hardware in my office. And then when I get into the, the studio itself, it turns it, – so for me, it's, it's very much an integrated part. In fact, it would be – I would consider it a massive step back for me if I had if, – if they discontinued the Echo. Um, I think – it just depends on what you end up using it for. If you use it to ask it questions or order stuff, it, you're never gonna you're never gonna get value out of it because your phone can do that, and that's why that's why it 100% doesn't matter at all that Apple hasn't shipped anything like this because everybody that has an iPhone in their product pro, uh, po, pro, uh, in their pocket, or everybody that has the Google uh, Now or Google Assistant in their product, pro, sorry, pocket. They already have they already have access to the stuff in the most like the, the most use cases for querying it. If you want to query it for movie times or you want to query it for weather, you're you're right. Just ask your phone. It's when you are integrating it into your home and it's operating things like your lights or in my case your lights and your heater, where you want something that's always in the same spot. It's always available. It's a known quantity that's physically plugged in, and you always can. You can always shout to it. Where your phone, sometimes you have it in your pocket, sometimes you don't. But for the most part, if, you, if you're in the mood to look something up, you're also in the mood to go grab your phone to then go query Google Assistant or Siri. Uh, all right. But like, okay, so a couple things there, right? One, I will grant you that like I could totally use an Alexa to – sorry about that – to buy – stuff right like my wife and i constantly forget to buy paper towels as just as an aside i've actually never once used it to buy anything really never i use it i use it many times a day and i have yet to buy anything from amazon with it so so you know i'm a pretty heavy google home user right i have one at work and one at my home office um I had the realization this morning because I was in something of a of a how should we say this uh, Darth Maul is yes exactly I say Darth <laughs> Maul mood. a Darth Maul tizzy and, yeah and like I'm sitting here like naming songs and the guy next to me is like naming individual songs I'm like this is actually super annoying mm. we should just go back to making one big playlist put it on shuffle and leave it the hell alone 
Mm. Right. It's a decision. Sometimes it's fun, but this is going backwards, right? This is like changing the record every. The way I do it is I have the Echo Play a Spotify playlist. No, that's what I'm saying, right? I mean, it could be, I mean, in our case, it would be a Google Play playlist, but. Google Play. Then the other problem is I have an iPhone. I have been traveling a lot, right? I did a ton of driving. Yeah, you have. um, And flying and all that kind of crap. That's actually why we're recording on a Friday. Yeah, that is why. Although we really should just record on Fridays. Um, I'm going to keep nagging you about that. If I'm driving, let's say, a Nissan Rogue across Carolina, and I say, hey, Google, to my iPhone, sorry, should probably stop that, it um, will do nothing. <laughs> right? So now I'm forced to use Siri. <laughs> I love it. You triggered Roasted. it. I triggered it. Um, no, so now I'm forced you, to use Siri. No, what you, do, right? what you do is you say, hey, Shlomo, open the Google app. <laughs> Is that really how that works? That's horrible. The only problem it's is like, then it says, you need to unlock your iPhone first. So then yeah, you put your thumb while, on the thing. While driving 70 miles per hour down on I-95, I let know. me like do a three-step command to play. Yeah, no. Um, it just all seems crazy. It all seems like there's these weird platform gates, these weird, like you always say, strategy taxes that make it crappy for me not to just use the ecosystem right. that is built into my phone. Right, right. It's, it's, or I could go buy an essay, right? That's right. my option. Yeah, oh boy, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but so GPS brutal. that works is That's so, so much brutal. better. It's so brutal. It's so brutal. Uh, yeah, it is it's it is an interesting time, and um, I have faith that Siri will improve. I actually, for, could you no. give me could you give me an example? I still I hate to be this guy because this is the this is the not only do people hate us talking about this topic, but then the other thing they really 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 hate is me defending Siri. But I'm gonna fucking do it anyways. What's so bad? Like it sets reminders, it sets things based on geolocation. Okay. Very slow. Okay, all right, fine. All right, good enough. All right, right. so uh, Android O, we're just gonna, let's just bust through some of this stuff so that yeah, way people's heads don't explode. Google I.O. also uh, announced the beta of uh, Android O, so now you don't have to get the preview. You can actually get a beta. Uh, autofill is one of my features that I'm looking forward to the most. Yep. You have to be a Chrome user to really take advantage of it. Autofill will fill in logins. Smart tech selection. It was a moment on stage where they used to say, we have on-device machine learning. And uh, basically what it does is like it looks at words and sentences and tries to figure out which – it's trying to make Android highlighting more like iOS essentially. Then they – Yeah. OK. So so I tried to look into this one. OK. Is it really machine learning? I would love to hear from someone from Google or, or someone who's been involved weak, right? in the alpha. Like, it doesn't feel like proper machine learning. And, happening, and is it happening in real time while I select text? Like it felt like we're just saying machine learning for everything now. I mean, not that it's, and I think it's a great feature. And, you know, a lot of this stuff is nice because it's open to developers, which is also great. But, you know, I'm not sure I would qualify this as machine learning. But, mm-hmm. we could, yeah. What do you think of the picture in picture feature that they announced? So, for those of you that didn't catch it, the feature essentially places a small video box on your Android quote unquote desktop while other apps are open. Uh, so you can move it around. So it's like, say like you're watching Coda Radio on YouTube or Netflix, but probably Coda Radio. You could or a Duo Chat. You could move it around on the screen while you're doing emails and browsing the web and looking at your Reddit porn. Uh, it's just wow. It's just like uh, what YouTube on iPad does. Well, or all video, anything that uses the video playback right. API on iOS. Which see, this is where I'm. Cur- this will be a really interesting comparison. 
And this is why I do tend to hang on to at least any Android device that can run the modern OS because how will this work compared to how it works on iOS? Since Apple has essentially one lane video can travel down, you end up with anything that travels down that video lane is now in picture-in-picture mode. But with Android... That's not necessarily the case. So I will be really interested to see if it really legitimately is, because what they called out was YouTube, Netflix, and DuoChat. That's three things. <laughs> I mean, really interested to see in production if it's a lot. I would suspect it is. I would have to imagine it is. But they only said three things. Uh, so I'm curious to see how that picture-in-picture feature lands versus how it landed in iOS. Um, a couple of one other things. This is probably the one that I think is most uh, impactful for developers. Vitals, a new feature available for play that helps developers spot issues with apps and potentially impact phone security. And they'll give you aggregate data across devices and things like that. I thought that was actually pretty nice and got 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 a good round of uh, clappuses in the audience. They also mentioned two billion monthly active devices. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of devices. And, and, and instant apps for everybody. Yes, open that API up. That That is actually pretty cool. Um, I, again, I don't know how widely adopted it will be, but I have a feeling, because it's not that terrible to implement, that a lot of folks are just going to go ahead and do it if they're, uh, you know, if they're so inclined to go native, right? I mean, do you, do you, how much do you care about this? I would I would love to hear from like hardcore Android users. Does this matter to you? Yeah, I guess it depends. I'm really on. I, I want to see it. I want to. I I imagine. I what I what I picture it is like I'm I'm on the web. I'm looking for information. Oh, I want to order something, and then their app launches, and all of a sudden I'm in their app to make the to complete the process or something. And if and if in doing so. Maybe I can use Android Pay instead of having to put my information in like an animal. Yeah, okay, maybe. I could. I, I think it's useful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it could be interesting. It's And then all of a sudden you get all the nice native uh, like, uh, you know, animations and yeah, all the good looks and stuff yeah. like that. Anything else from IO that jumped out at you? Um, Treble? Well, so the project, uh, I, project... Yeah, I thought Project Treble was interesting. It's yet another attempt at fixing the whole update fragmentation issue. Right. Yeah. What happened around round three, I think we're on now. Yeah. I'm a little surprised though, to be honest, because like in my work, you know, Google play services has mostly fixed it to the point where you just don't do things that cause problems. Right. Yeah. I think the, the real issue that Google is just waiting for is, uh, so remember how we just had WannaCry just go across. Yeah. That could happen to Android devices. Let's be honest, because the thing is, you can you can do things with play at the play level. But if you st- if you're still shipping a vulnerable kernel or some GNU utility that's out of date, you know you're still. Okay, but at some point, isn't the device vendor responsible for not being a jackass? Yeah, I mean, so just so people understand, Project Tribble or Treble, not Tribble, not the trouble with Tribbles, but Treble, like like the the reason why it's it's like it's like the it's like thirds, so Treble thirds. Uh, it's the third slice of the Android update stack, the first layer being the, the silicon manufacturers like Qualcomm. The, right. and, and then you have the OEMs like your HTCs or your Motorola's, and then you have the carriers. That's, that's the whole three slices there. And so Treble is a reference to in threes, and this is the first slice. Now, maybe the implication there is that they're going to try to solve the other two. I don't, I don't know. But I'll tell you what. I, I find this to be a, well, a third of a solution. 
Well, it, it, it's a weird solution given that, um, you know, margins on Android devices for manufacturers are ridiculously thin, right? Carriers don't really give a crap what phone you buy from them anymore because it doesn't matter. So this solves a Google problem for Google. And I, I definitely get your point about security, but I don't know how you – I don't think this actually will solve that in every case. Yeah. 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 Cause you're, you're only getting the only thing you're, the only thing you're isolating yourself from is the people in the middle, the OEMs, they're now isolated from having to reinvent the driver stack for the silicon for the next version of Android. Right. That's what it seems like. It actually seems like a boon for the OEM, not necessarily the user. Now, if you're building some kind of weird Android device, like you, you know, you're a startup and you're building something cool using maybe Android IoT, um, this is probably super helpful and super yeah, yeah. welcome to you. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it does matter a lot if you make the OEM's job easier. If you make HTC's job easier, they'll 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 ship more updates. What Android's trying to get to here is they're trying to get more competitive with iOS, so that way when they ship awesome platform features, everybody gets to take advantage of it. You can have notification bubbles on your icons all day long, but it doesn't matter if no more than 2% of your users ever run that version of the operating system. Right, and if the developers never implement an API for it. Yeah, so their their hope, I would imagine here is, is make the OEM's job easier. And then if the OEM's job is easier, they're more likely to push a new version of Android out to the mm-hmm. carriers. But this, this reminds me a lot about like Microsoft before they did Signature, encouraging OEMs to like destroy yeah. Windows before they yeah. shipped it. Right? Well, because think if you got to imagine at the end of the day, their motivation is to sell new devices because that's what makes them money. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, these vendors are being squeezed, right? They they they're not making money on these handsets, really. Even Samsung, who makes the most money, granted they tried to blow a few people up, but they don't make that much per unit. You know, just before we go on completely, and then we'll be all we'll be all done with the Android stuff. Um, I, when I read this post, you know, my first thought was: is how the hell was this not a thing already? How did they not Ooh. launch Android with this? I would. I mean, uh, having a vendor, a proper it. vendor interface is uh, the only reason I mentioned that is Canonical got that right. Having a proper so Canonical has a proper vendor interface and they have a proper carrier interface. So you could have so they had the ability to update the core operating system and the core applications without affecting the carrier branding and without affecting the drivers from the OEM and they could still allow them to ship updates to that. Like how can how can how can a couple of hundred people at Canonical figure that out and Google, after all of these years and all of the resources, with the complete master plan that they had to do this with all these different manufacturers, how could they not have thought of this sooner? Now i got to wait for Android O. Well, that's great news for Pixel users, but nobody else is getting this. And that's our Google I.O. coverage. All right, scaleyourcode.com. Go to scaleyourcode.com and sign up for their low-flow mailing list. You know, two to three emails a month, but you get access to great interviews, really, really good technical stuff, how people solved major challenges and huge infrastructure scaling problems, cultural – well, I won't call them problems – Cultural lessons learned. How about that? That's probably a good way to put it. And the tools they use to do their job. Scaleyourcode.com. Go learn from successful developers and get access to interviews, inside looks, and tutorials. I was digging through their archive because I've signed up. And I'll tell you, one of the ones that jumped out at me recently, and I'm surprised I haven't talked about this. So this is uh, Jeff. He's a teacher, a, a psychiatrist, a computer jockey, and a dad. 
and he helped uh, found, he helped uh, found and find and set up a few things you you may have heard of. Uh, he built data analytics engines on AWS, and he has a real real awesome philosophy that I think makes the entire interview fascinating. Keep everything you build as simple as possible. You can see how he built simple an engine on AWS with Redshift and learn from it and learn the performance tricks and how to efficiently query data on Redshift. How does it all work? You can find out at this, with this interview and many others at scaleyourcode.com. Just go to scaleyourcode.com, sign up for their low-flow mailing list. That's it. It's free. You get access to all the interviews. Scaleyourcode.com and a big thank you to Scale Your Code for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Mr. Dominic, it's not all about I.O. It's not all I.O. Hello, hello, hello. There's build news, too. Sumerian uh, has this, some news. This should be quick and brutal. Um, so Visual Studio for Mac 1.0. Okay, it's Xamarin Studio kind of redone. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is uh, they're moving away from Xamarin Studio, though. So this is the way you're going to do Xamarin development. This was, It's weird. It's every time, I don't know why, it's still weird to me every time I see Macs up on stage at build. It feels a little feels wrong. Uh, next item, which I think is far more interesting, is okay. the Xamarin Live Player, which allows you to work on Windows and uh, build an iOS app in Xamarin to your device without a yeah. local Mac. Yes, it's very cool. Now, before you all get excited... So does that mean like you buy one Mac, you put it on the LAN, and then everybody else can use this? Is that what that means? No, you don't need to have the Mac on the LAN at all. It, there's no Mac. You do not need a Mac to use the Live Player but you will eventually need a Mac, and let me tell you why. This is actually running it in like a view. It's almost like the Ionic View app to run Ionic apps without doing code signing. So there's a performance hint. This is not really like you should not be doing development with this unless you you know you can do a quick you know command R build just to you know test the layout change, test something minor, whatever. But in terms of actual like quality control, you need to get a Mac and build it against the Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, for deployment, you still need to build it off a of Mac. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. So, and, and to be honest with you, having used um, tools like this before, it's almost never worth it unless you're really just doing some like layout tweaks or something really, really small. But having said that, I could understand if you're like a longtime Visual Studio user, and I mean Visual Studio. Mm-hmm, that's what I was thinking. Real Visual Studio Classic. Um, and you just like, you know, you're just doing some ex- uh, XAML files, right? And you don't mm-hmm. want to be bothered. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. Xamarin's not really my thing, so it's interesting. Um, that is about it. Again, not, you know, they had a bunch of Azure stuff. Great. You know, Microsoft right now loves Linux, Mac, Docker, um, and some guy from down the street. So it's really kind of hard to narrow in. But I would say these were the two yeah. biggest things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So we have uh, Visual Studio for Mac, which is, which is sort of. So you're saying it's a rebranding in a sense. Well, so if you wa- if you watch the uh, announcement, it, they do say, and I have played with it some that it is re. Um, it's not exactly a rebranding, right? It's a reworking. It's like but it's base- like the next what the next version would have been, and they're just starting this off as Visual Studio. It, yeah, it's like the next. It's like Xamarin Studio, whatever the next major release number would be. Plus, now because it's Microsoft, not Xamarin, uh, as a separate entity, they care about things like ASP Core and ASP.NET and Azure. Right? It has a bunch of stuff for Azure in there um, and ASP development, where Xamarin Studio really did not support it super well. I mean, so it had it, 
I, yeah. I gotta, Mike. I know, I know, I know that tone. You seem pretty underwhelmed by IO and build. Yeah, I, I like I said before, I, I'm not like you know nothing really like got me jazzed into whip open Vim and start doing anything. Um, kind of a ho hum year, I think. I mean, we'll see what WWDC is, but. Yeah, did you hear I, the, did you hear the rumor at WWDC that there's going to be new MacBooks? Of course. Yeah, you know, I didn't believe it. I didn't. I thought I was, I was thinking, no, Apple doesn't. Apple doesn't move that fast. Uh, and then some jackass tweeted me the picture of a brand new MacBook that he just bought, and I was like, well, that confirms it. They're going to totally launch new MacBooks. Oh, okay. Hang on. Now let me tell you what happened. This is not my fault. I was sitting on <laughs> my porch. Is. I was sitting on my porch after the travel. Uh huh. And uh, who pulls up to, to in front of my house but the UPS man. Okay. His name, his name was Jim. And he says, Mike, I got something for you. I'm like, Jim, I didn't order this. He says, Mike, not. No, no. I've been reading your emails. And uh, I, you did. So Jim and I took another excellent adventure was to Jim, go see our. Was he? A, was he? A, oh, I mean, he sounds like a tall sounds, fellow. He sounds like a. He sounds like a Google employee at this point. I guess he maybe just had access to Google's servers is that what well i mean i don't know he said that there were some really dedicated professionals helping him out yeah and uh, they just looked at the metadata of your emails so you know as i cut open the box and i saw that it was a sealed macbook 13 inch uh, with the escape key <laughs> i said jim jim i can't do this he says mike you are standing in front of two doors here conceal <laughs> and mac os wow. i said jim yes i've been watching my c-span i said jim I might. This might affect the outcome of uh, next this week's Coda Radio. He said concealing is wrong, and yeah. so I opened it. Yeah, and and began the Twitter storm. Un- unless unless he's concealing a memo, then that's fine. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. So you got the 13 inch Escape. Yes, I went with the Escape. I uh, I I I gotta ask why. I mean, I just All I right. don't I don't I don't uh, I know with no judgment. I just gotta ask why. So remember that VPN gig that went away? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's back. <laughs> and then I had a magical appearing quick iOS job. And then I wanted to write some Swift. Oh, I'm sorry, what? I blacked I out for a second. Uh, I, I didn't. Yeah. Um, what? So I, I uh, so you you have uh, you have a 13 inch MacBook and I have a 15 inch macbook at this point always whipping them out chris always worried about size you know uh it's a pretty good machine it's a pretty good it's it's not an amazing machine in fact when i'm when i'm encoding video i'm often a little disappointed but when i am rendering video i know it sounds like the same thing but they're not i'm very impressed so it just it's a it's a mixed bag for me so far but uh i i am uh, i'm ready for the USB-C lifestyle i'll tell you that i am i mean right now ironically i'm talking to you on a system 76 raytel running gnome ubuntu um, Ubuntu GNOME for those of us who are fancy, but I have to say it is it is a very nice machine. I, I actually think it's nicer than the 15 inch one. What I do sold. you think? What do you think draws you to it over the Retail or over say well, one's a, a the Lemur. giant tower well, or the uh, Lemur? Yeah, the the Lemur. Well, one uh, I need macOS for certain things. It, I tried to go without it, but it was just putting the OS aside. Putting the OS aside. I mean, no. that's the major thing, right? <laughs> Okay. That, that is because I need it to build anything for iOS and it can't go inside. Oh, okay. Like I thought maybe. Okay. Uh, um, a couple things hardware wise versus the Lamar. Well, 
Like, I think the new Galago Pro would have a better shot against it because I can't open the Lemur on a plane effect, like easily unless I'm in, you know, economy plus or business class. This I can. I like the USB-C, but that's not a huge deal for me. I don't know. I mean, honestly, it is a, I don't mean to be like boring because I know that this is something that people get like flamed up about, but I needed to do code signing in Mac. I needed a Mac specific VPN software and uh, it was a cheap open box. Yeah, I got to say, if I was going to get a machine just to run Mac OS, I think this would be the perfect machine because that's where they put a lot of their energy and effort into to make it a competitive competitive product. Now, I I do want you to know, though, the minute I broke the seal on it, I did see the tweet about the new MacBooks coming out in a week. I was like, of course. Isn't that funny? (laughs) Every time. It it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Because you know, it doesn't, is, yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. It's pretty funny though. It is is pretty funny just to see how how that stuff happens. And it is also funny that once you start carrying around a machine that is this size and thinness, uh, the other machines start to feel bulky and heavy that never felt bulky and heavy before. Well, the, well, that's that's the biggest thing, right? So I was never a large laptop user. I was always a 13-inch guy, right? I started, I was on the 13-inch original aluminum MacBook. Then I went to the MacBook Air and I melted it. I literally melted it. And um, then I was the 13-inch MacBook Pro guy forever um, and a couple of iMacs here and there. But I, I, I really, really hated the 15-inch MacBook Pro. You like, know, I, I have not had a problem with that escape key once. Not once. No, it's not, it's not the escape key. It, it, it was just heavy. Like it felt unwieldy on my lap. Um, oh, oh, okay. I, I don't like the random dead space on the side. Like the the way the bezels are on the uh, – yeah, I yeah. mean this is getting – we're getting into real like Marco Armand territory here. But Yeah, I follow you though. It, something like if I'm going to have a Mac, which having worked in GNOME for a while now, I, I kind of still prefer GNOME. But if I'm going to have a Mac, I think like I'm actually sort. I almost bought the MacBook, the uh, the super little guy. The only reason I got this was, was open box and like it was better computer for literally less money. Um, I I don't know, right? I, I guess I think about the way I use it. One, I need Mac OS occasionally to sign something. Um, for some reason, no one makes good Ubuntu VPN software that my customers will accept, which is very annoying. But that right there is kind of a deal breaker. Um, I like the Raytel, and since I sit at work for 9 to 10 hours a day, I'm mostly on the Raytel. Yeah, desktops are nice for when you're doing long durations of work. Right, but but when I'm on the road, small, light, and long-ass battery power kind of work. And occasionally I plug it into the monitor because like somebody's like, oh my god, can you do this MDM thing for yep. us, right? All that is that is almost exactly my setup. All of our desktop machines, every computer in this room, all Linux. My main desk machine that has two monitors here at my office at the JB1 studio, Linux. And then my portable machine right now is the MacBook Pro 2016. Now, how are you um and the answer is no, they won't let me use OpenVPN. How are you uh, for the chat room? Cuz they're using some that's another whole another topic. It's some sort of weird proprietary VPN software. How are you finding it um, performance-wise? Like one thing I've noticed using the 13-inch escape key, for the things that I do, like compiling stuff, I do not notice a significant loss from what I perceived on the 15-inch hmm, one, yeah. the, the 3,000. I, I, would, I would argue because the 15-inch one isn't all that incredibly – I didn't get the very, very high-end CPU, but okay. I got the one next to it. Um, and then I got the video card with two gigs of RAM because that's, that's what I need the most. Um, but uh, I am – I would tell you I, I am disappointed in the raw CPU performance. And I wonder I right. wonder if that's because maybe it throttles or something like that. It's good. It's great. I mean it really is great. But it's not, it's not 
get my job done significantly faster great. And so yeah, I already could see myself wanting to replace it in a couple of years, which I'm going to try to resist. But I could see myself wanting to yeah. because – I mean one thing is I only – because I bought OpenBox and because I really did this on a budget, um, it is only an 8 gigabyte model. It's not – this is not a fast machine. But for a travel machine and for needing to log into this really obnoxious proprietary VPN, works fine. Yeah. Yeah. And right. – and, 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 and to be honest, Mac, you, if you need a Mac OS workstation, well, and also it would cost me like two hundred dollars to slip a GPU into the Raytel here and be in good shape. Yeah, well, and eGPUs are are getting a lot of traction on the Mac. I, I, I sort of fell into accidentally an entire community of uh, enthusiasts that are testing out different external GPUs on MacBooks. It's, well, there's a lot of momentum there. I, I, I have been looking into it, but it is not a cheap solution. No, no, because you got to get the box and then you got to yeah, get the GPU. Yeah. I mean, and, and to be honest, I think my little, I mean, for yours, yes, I think maybe that's something you should look at, but for mine, yeah. it's wasted. Yeah. Although I will say, iMovie is so much easier than OBS. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. here's the thing, though. Just to one, my closing thought on the external GPU is imagine now in two years, and when they've got this, when they got the price down, say you could drop $400 total. And you've got an absolute modern graphic system on that on that laptop. Chris, I buy a laptop every three months. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Actually, I imagine this will be up for sale soon, so everybody stay tuned. Yeah, uh, check, check out my uh, my Etsy page. Actually, I bet because you got the thirteen open box, I bet this one lasts, right? Because it's a it's a much more palatable uh, cost. And you know what? I have a ton- I, I have another hellish travel season coming up, mm. and the ability to whip it out on my I'm sorry, what? Not. Yeah, I. I I see what you did there, but I meant the MacBook. Oh, okay. You know, USB-C, one day is going to make traveling. Imagine bringing like one charger cord that charges your phone and your tablet and your laptop or whatever. Like I just – I'm such a USB – I just want USB-C to do go everywhere for charging for well, cameras well, that, and everything. That, yeah, that's kind of – like I, I realized that I could just buy like and – I, and I have one, a USB-C to lightning cable and have like – two of those and be yep. good to go. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. Yeah. All right, Mr. Dominic, where should people find you throughout the uh, week? Go to Buccaneer Tech on YouTube and Buccaneer.io. I have lots of videos coming next week. Oh, good. And go check out that new website, too. It looks incredible. Nice work. You can follow me on the Twitter. I am at Chris LAS, Chris LAS, and the network at Jupiter Signal. At Jupiter Signal for news, episode releases, things like that. Things like, oh, I don't know, calendar changes? That's best at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Coderadio.reddit.com is where you can submit content links links and things that you want us to talk about, things you want us to discuss. Also, you can give us your emails at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Go check out linuxactionnews.com. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you right back here next week. Next week.